Afrika Zora Afrika amka na unai Good morning and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine this is Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa We are on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Tabiso Lohoko and Msibudi Makura in our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at this hour. LRA rebel leader appears before the International Criminal Court. AU Foreign Affairs Ministers meet in Addis Ababa. And UN agency says hunger kills more people than conflict. In economics, plans to establish a Pan-African trade pact are well underway. And in sports news, Tunisia and DRC qualify for AFCON quarterfinals. But first up, the news with Tabi Soluhuku. The African Union has called for stronger action against Boko Haram, saying Africa should lead the global fight against Nigeria jihadist group. AU Chairperson Gusazana Laminizuma says she is horrified by the tragedy Boko Haram continues to inflict on ordinary people. She says what started off as a local criminal gang is now spreading into Western Central Africa. Lamine Zuma has appraised Chad for sending troops for help to Cameroon to fight Boko Haram, which keeps crossing the border from Nigeria to stage the attacks. The South African National Defense Force, meanwhile, says it is unaware of former South African soldiers being deployed to Nigeria to help fight Boko Haram. According to reports, of former SANDF troops are part of a multinational team of private military experts on their way to Nigeria at the request of the Nigerian government. The team of about 100 will reportedly train Nigerian soldiers. Ugandan Lord's Resistance Army commander accused of war crimes has made his first appearance before the International Criminal Court in The Hague after a decade on the run. Dominique Ongwen, a child soldier who rose through the ranks of the rebel group that abducted him, was among five senior LRA commanders indicted by the Global Court in 2005. Lilian Stubach reports from The Hague. For more than a quarter of a century, the LRA under Joseph Kony and his high command, that includes Ongwen, have terrorized the people of northern Uganda and neighboring countries. The LRA has reportedly killed tens of thousands and displaced millions of people. Former Cuban President Fidel Castro has ended a long silence over his country's decision to restore diplomatic ties with the United States, writing that he backs the negotiations even though he distrusts the politics in Washington. The comments were the first by the 88-year-old revolutionary leader on the talks with the U.S., since the historic December 17th declaration that the countries would move to restore ties broken more than half a century ago. Two weeks ago, Castro sent a letter to a soccer legend, Diego Maradona, to quash rumors of his death. At the time, it was the first reported word from Castro in nearly three months. The letter was read on Venezuela State Television Network, Telesur. 
And finally, former president, or rather current president, Barack Obama will lead a delegation of lawmakers, senior U.S. officials, and two former secretaries of state of Saudi Arabia to pay respects to the royal family following King Abdullah's death. Obama was cutting short the final day of his visit to India to make the trip to Riyadh, the capital of the oil-rich desert kingdom. He had planned to close his three days in India with a visit to the famed Taj Mahal, which will instead make a four-hour stop in Saudi Arabia to meet with new monarch King Salman bin Abdul Aziz Al Saud and attend a dinner with other Saudi officials. Channel Africa News, and I'll be back at the bottom of the hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Tabiso. It's 8.05 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg on this Tuesday, January the 27th of the year 2015. We have exactly 338 days left in the year. Now, starting off today's show, we ask you this morning, do you think the police are doing enough to protect foreign shop owners in South Africa? Two men have been shot dead, shops owned by immigrants looted in South Africa's biggest city, which is Johannesburg, as unrest following the death of a teenager last week spread in Johannesburg townships. Two men were killed in Langlachte during a robbery at an immigrant-owned shop, while another store was set ablaze and several others looted. Foreign-owned shops looted last week across Soweto's township southwest of Johannesburg and the unrest broke out after this 14-year-old boy who residents say was trying to rob a shop in Soweto was shot dead by a foreigner a week ago. So far, 178 suspects have been arrested, which leads us to our question, where do you think... The police are doing enough to protect foreign shop owners in South Africa. Give us your views, your thoughts on email at infochannelafrica.org or send us an SMS to plus 2782-332-5905 or get a hold of us on Twitter at RiseShineAfrica or at Channel Africa 1. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka. Top Ugandan rebel commander Dominic Ongwen has appeared in the dock at the International Criminal Court, the ICC, at The Hague to face war crimes charges. Ongwen, a feared commander of the Lord's Resistance Army, LRA, is the first member of the LRA to appear before the court. Lily Ann Strubach reports from The Hague. Ongwen, who is alleged to have been abducted into the LRA as a child soldier himself, was composed and looked deeper in a dark suit. He faces charges on three counts of crimes against humanity for murder, enslavement, inhuman acts or inflicting serious bodily injury and suffering, and four counts of war crimes, including murder, cruelty against civilians and pillaging. 
When he was taken into ICC custody last week, the chief prosecutor, Fatou Bensaru, said it brought the ICC one step further to ending the LRA's reign of terror in Uganda, Central Africa Republic and Southern Sudan. I spoke to the Hague-based journalist and expert in international criminal law, Thomas Furfus. Uh, it is the case about the Lord Resistance Army. Um, Ongwen admitted today to being, having been a soldier in the Lord Resistance Army, the LRA, which was a rebel movement in northern Uganda. Uh, they started fighting around 1987 against the uh, central government of President Museveni. Uh, the LRA members are a Choli, that's an ethnic group in northern Uganda, whereas President Museveni belongs to another ethnic group. And uh, they founded that Lord Resistance Army uh, supposedly on the basis of the Ten Commandments, but they themselves violate almost all of them. Um, they attacked civilians, they burnt down villages, uh, they murdered, they raped, and um, maybe most tragically, they abducted, kidnapped tens of thousands of children. Um, the boys were turned into child soldiers. Uh, the girls were used as sex slaves. And that went on for 20 or more years. Uh, these days, the LRA is more active in neighboring countries like Congo, Central African Republic, or Southern Sudan. And that LRA case was the first ever case before the ICC. The ICC issued arrest warrants against five LRA leaders in 2005, almost 10 years ago. Uh, and now the first suspect is brought before the court and the LRA leader, Joseph Kony, is still on the run. Yeah. Now, Dominic Ongman was abducted as a child himself. He was a child soldier, wasn't he? Yes, there have been reports from Africa that he was 10 when he was abducted. Um, today, he told us that he was 13, almost 14 when he was abducted, and 14 when he was taken into the bush. So that is something which needs still to be clarified. Um, it is a very interesting problem about this case, because this is the first case before the ICC where the suspect is also a victim. And this will have to be taken into account by the judges uh, if they find him guilty of the crimes which he is suspected of, then still they will have to take into account his young age, uh, the lack of um, education, he did not go to school. Um, one might also argue that the process of forming a conscience uh, could not go as it would go with an adolescent who develops normally. So that will certainly be an issue during the case. Now it was his first appearance at the ICC this morning. How did he appear to you? He seemed um, rather composed. He was um, in a suit with a tie. One could not tell uh, what kind of life he has been living for more than 20 years. What ensued today? Uh, today the presiding judge um, checked the identity of the suspect uh, and she made sure that uh, he knows the charges against him. He knows what he is suspected of, war crimes and crimes against humanity. Uh, especially against the civilian population. Um, and the um, presiding judge checked uh, if um, the accused, the suspect, can follow the proceedings in a language he understands. And did he speak at all during the proceedings? 
yes, he spoke when he uh, was asked to, to state his name, and he also made a statement at the beginning of the hearing where he said that he thanked God for having created Earth. So it was a religious statement which indicates that he has been part of a movement with a very strong religious doctrine for all those years. Yes, because I think uh, Connie was an altar boy uh, with a Catholic background. He was an altar boy, yes, before he founded this uh, religious movement, the Lord's Resistance Army. Now, what could this case mean for the standing of the ICC? Well, for the ICC, it does mean that an important suspect has come into its custody. Um, and that is important after more disappointing developments towards the end of last year. The Office of the Prosecutor had to abandon uh, her case against the President of Kenya. She says that the Kenyan authorities did not cooperate with her investigations. And she also had to kind of freeze charges against the President of Sudan because um, he has been a restaurant against him has been out for years now, and he keeps traveling in Africa. And the Security Council, which referred the Darfur situation to the ICC, uh, does not take strong action against Sudan, something which the prosecutor is very frustrated about, and that is why she froze that investigation. So after the two defeats in the Kenya situation and in the Darfur situation, uh, this is a positive uh, development for the court. Hague-based journalist and an expert on international criminal law, Thomas Fervus. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach reporting from the ICC in The Hague. The Executive Council of the African Union, comprising of foreign affairs ministers, has started its two-day meeting at the African Union headquarters in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. The Council of Ministers is meeting to prepare the agenda for the upcoming summit of the African Heads of State, scheduled for this week in Ethiopia. Koleta Wanjohi reports. Foreign Affairs Ministers from Member States of the African Union have begun consultation ahead of the African Heads of State Summit scheduled on 30th and 31st of January 2015 in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. The African Union Commission has outlined to the Council several issues that it hopes will be given priority for discussion this year by the African Heads of State. The chairperson of the African Union Commission, Dr. Dlamini Kosazana Zuma, has requested the Council to urge the summit to consider adoption of the Agenda 2063 framework, which has been finalized after a two-year consultation with people of all walks of life from the continent. Dr. Zuma insists that the continent has to be keen on averting the internal and external risks, like conflicts that may divert the intention of the Agenda 2063 towards positive transformation of Africa. We have to pay special attention to the risks, uh, both internal and external risks, and that we face that we face on the road to the implementation of Agenda 2063. The detailed Agenda 2063 transformation framework mentions some of those risks, including the grave risk if we fail to silence the guns neutralize the threats of terrorism, intolerance and extremism, slow movement on integration on infrastructure and diversification of our economies due to both internal and external weaknesses and challenges, 
and the largest failure to amass the finance, the financing for development. Expected to be discussed by the Council of Ministers is also the ongoing conflict in different parts of Africa. For instance, in countries like the Democratic Republic of Congo, there is renewed violence. South Sudan, Central African Republic and Libya are still facing continued violence. Of rising major concern is Nigeria with the Boko Haram attacks. The Council is expected to table serious measures to assist Nigeria defeat this militant group that is abducting girls and killing people and threatening to go beyond the borders of Nigeria. The United Nations Economic Commission for Africa has also reminded the Council of Ministers on the need to ensure that Africa's economic transformation is supported by more pro-African economic policies. The Executive Secretary for the UNECA, Carlos Lopez, has highlighted that Africa may need to tap into the 3,000 richest individuals in the continent whose accumulated wealth is approaching $400 billion. He says that this, together with the $600 billion that African central banks have accumulated in reserves, equals to $1 trillion that may do a lot in boosting Africa's own capacity and resources. We have failed to diversify exports from primary products and natural resources, limiting the potential for industrialization. This can be explained by highly ineffective trade policy design, implementation and coherence. Moreover, the asymmetric trade agreements that we continue to sign have led to insufficient incentives for industrializing through trade. We must be bold and courageous when we negotiate. If we create a common market, it will have the size of China's population. There is not long ago until the deadline of 2017 arrives. If we cannot achieve that, then we'll, who will believe in Agenda 2063? The Council of Ministers, whose meeting ends on Tuesday, is also expected to discuss the way forward concerning the Ebola crisis, especially for countries like Guinea, Liberia and Sierra Leone, which are the most affected countries in West Africa. Kolitranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Chris van Veik, author of Shirley, Goodness and Mercy, and eggs to lay, chickens to hatch, sadly passed away on the 3rd of October. In tribute to him, we're rebroadcasting his memoir, Eggs to Lay, Chickens to Hatch. So join Channel Africa for Eggs to Lay, Chickens to Hatch every morning, Monday to Friday at 9.05 Central African time, starting from the 12th of January. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amka na Unai. It's 8.19 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Going back in time to today in 1977, the Vatican reaffirms the Roman Catholic Church's ban on female priests. That was today in 1977. 
Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unare Hunger kills more people than conflicts and terrorism nowadays according to the Director General of the UN Food and Agriculture Organization FAO according to FAO approximately 805 million people or one in nine people around the world suffer from hunger UN Radio's Monica Grayley caught up with Director General Jose Graziano da Silva who was in New York to attend a meeting of UN peacebuilding commission she asked him what message he brought i'm going to tell them that we will not achieve peace if we have hunger people i would tell also that implementing food security is not for a country alone this must be a global issue because it's impossible to have only one country food security if their neighbor are not the message is very clear hunger kills more people nowadays than the conflicts including terrorism So if we really want to achieve peace we will need to look also for food security. And now let's talk about women and children. Who are the most impacted on any situation of uh, food insecurity also in conflict areas? What can countries do in order to help these women to overcome this challenge? Of course the especially the women and children are the most impacted in every conflict, internal conflicts or external conflicts. They are the first to suffer and also the one thing that we have noticed is that uh, those conflicts the food security crisis that uh, derived from that is a protected crisis we do not solve it easily easy to start the conflict but uh, to overcome it uh, is very difficult because it's not only about the relief this is the first action you can give uh, food for them So food aid is the first step no doubt for relief but then comes the recovery the recovery needs investments and also to implement a more resilience for this population to overcome possible restart of the conflict is the even most difficult so it takes a long time to put it back again let's say put on track the countries that start the conflict this is the lesson on it and during that children are the most affected and it was the children also the mother that uh, is the let's say responsible for the family food and uh, the woman has a particular role because from the very beginning she is the one that feeds the family feeds the children and what we have seen is that uh, in the conflict for many reasons a uh, woman is the most affected and uh, broken the family in that way the woman does not have any more uh, place for them and the refugees uh, we can see that very clear that we have the woman with the children abandoned in the refugee camp that's not a family anymore they cannot play their role to feed the family and that's what we need to avoid them Director General of the UN Food and Agriculture Organization Jose Graziano da Silva speaking to UN Radio's Monica Grayley. 
With more rain expected in flood-stricken Malawi and camps for displaced people overwhelmed, the International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Society's IFRC has launched an emergency appeal for 2.6 million Swiss francs to help 42,000 desperate people. George Mango has more for Blantyre. Initially, families who include older men, children, under five, and breastfeeding babies are located in makeshift camps in schools and churches, fearing going back home is still unsafe. While weather experts forecast continued rainfall, the authorities say women are the worst affected and they fail to access medical care. Women and adolescent girls in some parts of Mangoji, Chikwawa, Nsanje and Palombe are the worst affected, with slim chances of getting the medical care they need. Some women feel there is need for support towards their plight. Last week, a woman delivered at her home enough a sign that health care has been affected. According to Grace Chopala, even the hospital where she could have gone for assistance was damaged by floods, rendering it useless. She explained the whole ordeal. This is my first child born on the January 10th, and I know what it means. I decided to go to the hospital, but floods frustrated me because roads and bridges were washed away. I had no option but to deliver at home with the help of traditional birth attendants. As you can see, I cannot help my kid because all my utensils, beddings, clothes have been washed away in the floods and my house has collapsed. I also need help because the other two children are being taken care of by my neighbor since my husband is in police custody. Meanwhile, Oxfam and United Nations Population Fund organizations have since distributed bells for drawing water and bathing, laundry soap and bath soap, two pieces of wrap around sanitary pads and cloth, including petroleum jelly to enable them maintain dignity in the camps until they return home. The initiative from Oxfam and UNFPA follows surveys that women and adolescent girls have special needs during disasters which should not be ignored. According to Oxfam Country Finance Manager Felix Miaso, the assistance was meant to bolster their livelihoods. Miaso added that they are yet to secure more funding so that more people could be assisted within the catchment areas of Molange, Palombe and others across the country where especially floods have devastated lives and properties. Oxfam will be providing water and sanitation and hygiene uh, equipment, uh, basically looking at uh, the hygiene element, the sanitation parts for the women, because in Oxfam we believe in putting women at the center. Uh, we've also targeted a lot of women so that then uh, they're the ones that take care of uh, the families. We'll be providing plastic sheetings so that then they can construct temporary shelters as they reconstruct the homes that have been uh, demolished. Uh, in future, we'll also look at uh, a rehabilitation program at looking at maybe giving them seeds to do winter cropping. The organization said the operations also lean towards pregnant women and young people and during disasters. They ensure that pregnant and adolescent girls have continued antenatal care and clean and safe service delivery. In all the camps, the number of affected women and girls far outnumber those of boys and men, such as in Kudzibe Primary School, where out of 227 people, 141 are women and girls. However, other flood victims have called for equal distribution of relief support as opposed to the current situation where more aid, according to them, is being channeled to districts in the south, leaving out the north, east and centre.
But District Commissioner Foreign Sanjay says the district is the worst affected and said they still need support in areas of health and education as camps are living on a hand-to-mouth aid. He said there is need for urgent support so that people living in camps live decent lives. We also need mosquito nets. We need the uh, blankets. We also need the, you know, safe water for these people. We need these, uh, sanitary facilities for these people. But at the same time, we also need tents. You can actually see in, in some cases like at Bangura, here at Magot, we are also using classrooms. And what does that mean? It means that we, we have disturbed the, the learning process. You see, we have actually cancelled classes so that we give room to uh, the people that have been displaced. Floods have elsewhere in the country claimed 176 lives, injured many and destroyed properties. President Peter Mutarika declared Malawi's state of disaster last week and called for international and local assistance. Mutarika has also announced that as one way of minimizing disasters, government plans to introduce a first-of-its-kind national disaster policy. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. As the weather improves in flood-stricken Mozambique, an estimated 11 million people are without electricity. The floods have collapsed the country's infrastructure and brought down power supplies, disrupting the lives of people. Since the flood started, nearly 30,000 people have been rescued and placed in accommodation centers. The floods cut all access by road or rail. The country's relief organization, the National Disaster Management Institute, is flying supplies to these centers from its regional delegation in the northern port city of Nakala. Elias Masikame, spokesperson at the institute, elaborates. Generally, in terms of the weather, it's improving. We're still receiving some rain, especially in the southern part of the Niasa province, which is in the northern part of the country, and also in Zambeze province in some places. We have about 157,000 people affected. The majority of them are concentrated in Zambeze province, which is about 124,000 people. And then we have about 19,000 houses destroyed, 117 people died. Majority of these people, which is about 93 people died, were registered at Zambeze province, which is the central part of the country. 332 1,600 hectares for agriculture which are affected with diverse crops. 41 temporary accommodation centers across the country and about 33 transit accommodation centers which are temporary ones located in Zambezia province. And then also we are trying to move people from the accommodation center to new areas where we are going to resettle them, the centers of resettlement. We have already planned to distribute uh, 2,655 plots of land for those people. So far we have demarcated those plots of land about 783, and then among these 783, 456 
plot of land are already distributed to affected people. And that was Elias Masikame, spokesperson at the Mozambican Disaster Management Institute, speaking to Khumuto Mopulane. Our headlines up next with Taviso Lehuko. The South African National Defence Force says it's unaware of former South African soldiers being deployed to Nigeria to help fight Boko Haram. No reports of foreign-owned shops in South Africa are being looted overnight. And several states declare state of emergency ahead of a historic blizzard bearing down the northeast coast of the U.S. Details at the top of the hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka. Thank you, Tabiso. Some foreign businessmen who were victims of last week's looting in South African township of Soweto, Kachiso and Sebukeng say they are preparing to go back to the townships to reopen their shops. However, others say they are not willing to risk their lives. Hundreds of them are currently taking refuge in Mayfair. At least six people have been killed in the violence that started in Soweto last week and has since spread to Langlachter and Alexandra. Wisani Makubele reports. Police remain on high alert as the looting incidents which started in Soweto last week seem to be spreading to other areas. Last week, Kahiso and Sibugeng witnessed incidents and this week, Langlachta and Alexandra have also been thrown into the mix. Police say they found a shop owned by a foreign national on fire when they arrived in Alexandra in the early hours of yesterday morning. They also prevented an attack on another shop. These foreign shop owners say they are now working in fear. I'm scared. It's fine, but you know. I'm thinking even it's gonna come this side. I saw there was Facebook is opening there was Facebook is gonna come. Alexander is talking what what? I'm scared it's gonna come. When something happened, even you can't talk, you can't feel well. When it happened like that in a sweat, it can it could happen here. You don't know how it's going to be happening and it will cost your life or we are just ready for anything. A local resident who provides property for foreign traders in various townships referred to a recent incident in which his shop in Orange Farm was damaged and pillaged. He had to close that business. I feel very bad about this because when you rent out something, you get the returns. But if they damage the property, it becomes a problem because they don't only do the damage to the people who run these shops, but they also do damage to us, the landlords. In Langlachte, two men were shot dead on Sunday night during looting in the area. Gauteng police have since launched a manhunt for the suspect. 14-year-old Tabang Mukwena witnessed the incident. Someone was stealing from the shop and he was caught. Another shop owner closed the gate and drew a firearm and the suspect started the fight and he was shot. Residents from Zamimpilo came in numbers and threw stones to the shop and the shop owners retaliated by shooting and ran away with their car badly damaged. Hundreds of foreign business people have since sought refuge in Mayfair, Johannesburg. Khalif Adam, who lost everything when his business was attacked in Durban Deep in Rodeport, says he's willing to go back to his workplace. If I get my stuffs and everything paid back, I'm going to get to go back to my shop, no problem. Yeah, I'm going to hustle. That is the life we are hustling here. 
Yeah, this is not that uh, we are suffering. No one take care of us. Nothing we are getting. That is the only thing we have. That is only our hope. Another victim, Abdi Adan, whose shop was attacked in Kahiso, is among those we asked if they'll go back to their workplaces. No. Where are we going to go back? There's no place to go back. That thing is Fatuma Abdi, whose shop in Kahiso was also targeted, says she finds it unbelievable that Africans can treat one another in this manner. We're feeling bad, you know, it's like we waste our energies, but what can we do because we're not in our country? I was in shock that day. I don't know what to say. Eh? We are all, you know, Africa, we are all black people. We mustn't treat each other, you know, like enemies. Abdi's son, Saif Rashid, says the attack on his mother's shop was unfair. Rashid says some of his schoolmates in Soweto have been bragging about their part in the looting. They don't know how my mother suffered to on that shop and they just come take it away it's like now we have to start a new fresh life again because they know that my mother has a shop in Soweto they were telling us they were taking stuff from her. and they were asking if like my mother got hurt I told them my mother wasn't there luckily please just stop whatever it is that you are doing please let's treat each other with love and kindness please Somali national Sheikh Yusuf allegedly killed 14-year-old Sipiwe Maori in Snake Park last Monday. It was that incident which sparked widespread looting of foreign-owned shops in Gauteng townships. Yusuf appeared in the Protea Magistrates Court yesterday and his case was postponed to next Wednesday. I'm Wisani Makubele in Johannesburg. Now, our question to you this morning is, do you think the police are doing enough to protect foreign shop owners in South Africa? Give us your thoughts and your views on email at info at channelafrica.org. Send us an SMS to plus 2782-332-5905 or get a hold of us on Twitter at RiseShineAfrica or at ChannelAfrica1. Do you think the police are doing enough in South Africa to protect foreign shop owners? Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Ebola bits. Symptoms may develop from 2 to 21 days, normally in 8 to 10 days. Symptoms often begin with a sudden fever along with muscle aches and a headache. There may also be nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, a cough and a sore throat. This message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by the World Health Organization. Follow the discussion on Twitter using hashtag BeatEbolaNow. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka. It's 8.38 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Zimbabwean drivers employed by a South African freight company have gone on strike. About 50 drivers based in Durban have parked their trucks in Zimbabwe for nearly a week now. They are demanding the immediate dismissal of one of the company executives due to allegations of racism. Simon Muchemo has more from Harare. Manline Freight, a South African-based shipping company, could be losing thousands of runs each day 
due to a boycott by Zimbabwean drivers. About 50 Zimbabwean drivers have parked their trucks at Bait Bridge, Harare, and Chirundu border posts demanding the dismissal of their executive. The company executive, Chris Haley, a white South African, is accused of being racist against black Zimbabwean drivers employed in that country. According to the drivers, all efforts to engage were futile, hence the boycott in the Zimbabwean soil. When they tried negotiating, they were not given an, an ear in South Africa, despite the existence of a 2012 court order compelling Manline Freight to pay the Zimbabwean drivers their dues. A representative of the drivers told Channel Africa the Zimbabwean drivers are not striking but staging a boycott until Chris Haley is fired. The representative opted to remain anonymous, fearing for his life. A case is important in, in, in mind is Mr. Chris Haley is in the habit of referring to us uh, black people as cafes. For no apparent reason, we understand South Africa is a rainbow nation where apartheid seems to be to be a form of a system of governance in 1994. Everybody is, is, is embraced. But shockingly, we still have elements like Mr. Chris Healy, who is in the habit of uh, using such unfortunate ways to refer to other uh, human beings. We feel we are adults who need um, equal treatment, who need to be considered as such. Manline Freight ferries mainly copper from Zambia to South Africa and lethal industrial chemicals from South Africa to Lusaka. The one-week-old boycott has seen nearly 50 cross-border trucks being grounded. Meanwhile, the driver's representative say the company employs more Zimbabweans in the cross-border section as cheap labor. Some of the grievances include non-payment of allowance. He, he, he removed uh, benefits, benefits which, which, which like bereavement benefits, okay. uh, wherein uh, before his uh, appointment to the company, when somebody uh, lost his life, you would receive a, a, an assisted uh, funeral. But uh, we had an unfortunate incident where one of our colleagues lost his life, approached Mr. Healy, and he point blank told us that uh, this company is a social welfare. One is supposed to take care of his or uh, her own uh, funeral, uh, funeral policies. Efforts to seek a comment from Mr. Chris Healy were fruitless. He refused to comment. So, I'm the wrong person to speak to. I'm the wrong person to speak to. Meanwhile, the company has dispatched some of its top executives to Harare to try and secure the release of the trucks. Although Post Naiman confirmed being in the Zimbabwean capital, Harare, he also refused to comment, referring all questions to the Zimbabwean lawyer. You, you, you guys are welcome to phone our public relations department. Okay, they will talk to you. Okay? I, cannot, I cannot confirm or comment on anything. You can phone our public relations. Then we'll deal with it. The company lawyer in Harare, only known as Makori, said, the boycott was illegal courtesy of a South African agent court application acquired last Friday. Um, unfortunately, it's privileged information, but all I can state for now is that there is a court order that has been issued by the Labour Court in South Africa, in, 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 in Durban, yes.
an order was issued by the Labour Court in Durban. It was issued on Friday, yes, declaring the strike, well, basically declaring the strike unlawful. They are not working, so there is no difference. They are, they are meant, they, their duty is to drive, they are not driving. Meanwhile, the Zimbabwean Vice President Emerson Mnangagwa is alleged to have intervened, creating fear among his, the Zimbabwean drivers. The drivers say they do not understand why the office of the vice president in Zimbabwe would be drawn into a labor issue in South Africa unless he is an interested party. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Ebola beats. Remember, Ebola is not a death sentence. Get treatment sooner. This message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by World Health Organization. Follow the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag BeatEbolaNow. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhuku. Plans to establish a pan-African trade pact are well underway as part of a broader effort to increase intra-regional trade within the continent. The African Union Commissioner for Trade, Fatiham Haram, says so far more than $5 million has been dedicated towards the launch of the continental free trade with the help of donors. Coletta Wanjohi reports from Addis Ababa. Africa set the deadline of 2017 as the year when the continent will enjoy a free trade area. Leaders at the African Union Summit, which took place from 23rd to 30th January 2012, under the theme Boosting Intra-African Trade, endorsed a plan to set up a continental free trade area by 2017. A harvest of honey from the equatorial forests of South Sudan will help its struggling poor and through the pollination of trees improve the nation's crop yields. Spring production over the coming weeks is expected to deliver 60 tons of honey, double the volume of an initial batch of exports last year to Kenya. South Sudan's honey harvest had suffered because of decades of fighting closed off the former main trade route through the north. Honey Care Africa has been working since 2013 in South Sudan, where it seems, or rather where it sees, uh, potential to collect honey from bees immune to the problems that have depleted colonies in the United States and to a lesser extent in Europe. Load shedding may have to be enforced again today and the rest of the working week in South Africa. South Africa's power utility Eskom says a peak electricity demand will be higher than the capacity available until Friday. This has raised the likelihood of more power cuts. 
The cash-strapped utility earlier slashed 2,000 megawatts from the grid, widening controlled power outages in a bid to prevent demand from exceeding its capacity. Old Mutual has bought another 37.3% in UAP holdings, taking its stake in the Kenyan insurer to 60.7%. The Anglo-South African Financial Services Company will pay about $155.5 million in cash for the stake bought from Average Group, Afri Invest and Sweet Fund. The deal is expected to be completed this year and will be funded from existing group resources. Private equity firm Ascent Capital wants to increase its East Africa fund to $60 million by mid-2015 from $50 million it has raised so far. It also plans to announce completion of its first investment in about two weeks. Ascent is one of the several private equity firms to launch in recent years in the region, seeking to take advantage of swift growth rates and expanding populations. Indicators at the Sawa. On Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. The US dollar trades at 11.43 South African Rand, 9.42 Botswana Pula, 6.32 in Zambia, 0.66 British pound, 8.9 Euro, Platinum 1.248 dollars, Gold 1.278 dollars an ounce, Brand Crude 4.8 dollars, 3.2 cents a barrel. We based in Johannesburg, South Africa, we come in live to you. My name is Tabi Solohoku and this is an economic update. Thank you, Tabiso. Our sports update up next with Msibudi Makura. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning, sports fans. And starting off with football news, Tunisia and the Democratic Republic of Congo are through to the knockout stages of the 2015 Africa Cup of Nations tournament following a one-all draw at an almost empty Estadio de Bata in Equatorial Guinea on Monday night. Ahmed Akache scored for Tunisia in the first half before super sub Lord Dekaka Boikale leveled the matters in the 66th minute. The result also sees the DRC end their AFCON frustrations by going to the knockout stages for the first time since 2006, much to the satisfaction of their head coach, Florent Ebenga, who was given the hot seat in August last year. We, we are qualified things. Um, it's difficult for me in English. <laughs> Epidemic sees uh, things from 2006. Yeah. It's the first time we, we reach this, um, this level. So it's, um, it's great for us. Yeah, yeah, it's a great achievement because I'm here for, it's only my um, six, six month match with this team. So it's difficult. We are working and we want to, to be um, a really, really influent in two years and in four years. We are working for that, to win in four years. 
In the meantime, Tunisian coach George Leeken says his players were too tired, otherwise they could have scored a goal or more and put the game beyond the DRC's reach. We did a fantastic first half. Uh, we didn't score the goal, we had to score the second one. And uh, we missed them also second half and because there was a lot of space, because it took a lot of risk. And we know that uh, at half-time we say we have to score the second goal when you, know, when you miss three, four, five chances. And that we had. Uh, and then there was some uh, little fatigue. And uh, okay, um, uh, at the end uh, we played a good football. And I was very happy with the, the kind we played the football. But uh, the most important, they qualified and we qualified. We are both happy. Both coaches are happy and even everyone is happy. Guinea is happy. What we have, Tunisia is happy and Congo is happy. See, life, life can be beautiful. The other match of the evening, Cape Verde and former champion Zambia shared the spoils, Sininga being knocked out of the competition. And still on AFCON news, Sheikh Mashaba, the head coach of the South African men's senior team, believes his charges are capable of beating Ghana. Both teams have to win their clash in their final Group C match in Mongomo, Equatorial Guinea, later tonight. The group of death has lived up to its reputation, as all four teams could still qualify for the knockout stages. Algeria will play Senegal in the other match. Both matches will be played simultaneously. Mashaba says they have studied the Black Stars. We still have a chance, but our chances come out of winning the game and scoring at least not less than three goals and sit back and watch what's happening. We're still in with a chance. We're still in with a chance. Anything is possible, but again, it's a must win against Ghana. And we've got the, the, the beating of Ghana. Meanwhile, South African Minister of Sports and Recreation, Sfigla Mbalula, has thrown his weight behind Bafana Bafana to bounce back against the Black Stars in the final Africa Cup of Nations Group C match. Bafana need to win this game and hope that Senegal beats Algeria if, there's, if they are to progress to the quarterfinals. The energetic minister is full of hope, despite his side being bottom of the group with a single point. I think uh, we are quite optimistic about uh, what is coming our way uh, in terms of the match against Ghana. Uh, I firmly believe that uh, we can still make it uh, in the final uh, stages of uh, the group stages of this tournament. Um, You will all realize that despite uh, uh, other teams winning, the group is still open. And I think everybody will be going to the last match with a view of winning and staying in the competition. And I think it has lived up to the expectation and uh, to the general characterization that indeed it is a group of death. But we always believe that out of the group of death will come out alive. Those who have to die will die and uh, will actually go home but will not be counted amongst them. And finally, in cricket news, West Indies all-rounder Andre Russell describes he describes their one-wicket victory over the Proteas as a very important and special win, especially after being on the receiving end of the first three ODIs. Russell, who topped, scored for the West Indies with 40 balls, 64 not out, and also smashed the winning runs for the visitors, says the victory was an entire team effort. The Proteas currently lead the five-match ODI series 3-1, with the last game to play in Centurion, Pretoria, on Wednesday evening.
Yeah, I mean, it's very important. Every win is, is something special. It's international cricket and you're playing against South Africa, so everyone was expecting for us to just keep losing and South Africa turn up all five games and win. I just think this was very good and that's the reason why, you know, I haven't had a beer in like a month now and I'm going to have a beer tonight because this is something special. And we, everyone play from ball one in the field, we really turn up today and that just goes to show that West Indies can defeat big teams. Well, those are your sports news at the sound. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, Raz and Shan at this hour. LRA rebel leader appears before the International Criminal Court. AU Foreign Affairs ministers meet in Addis Ababa. And UN agency says hunger kills more people than conflicts. That wraps up Africa, Raz and Shan today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzo Ramagaza, technical producer Charles Moyo and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Stompi Mavi with a track titled Umyano.
in Sebastian.